Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Thursday, 7th of April, we've got Basque Country Stage 4 on today as well as Cirque Sarf Cyclist Thingy in France, which is <laughs> the same parkour every day from what it seems to me. But Basque Country was the big ticket item with Shell the Press yesterday. The parkour the last three days has been very, very similar. There has been a climb of various steep proportions, cresting about 20Ks to 30Ks from the finish, with the finish being flat for quite a while and maybe a little uphill kicker, but not a proper hill finish either. That's what we had today from Vittoria Gastaz to Ingatim Park, Zamudio. Good conditions, sunny, 20 degrees. And we had longer climbs today. They had the Vivero climb, which Benji astutely said, I don't know how he remembered this, it's in the tour next year, right? Which stage? Yeah. It's not like a final climb though, right? Uh, stage one is the second last climb before they go to the uh, Pike Bidea or something is that other climb that's just after it. So it should okay. be quite... I, I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be the one where attacks are going to follow, but something might happen on it during the Tour de France stage one next year. So looking forward to that. But today was certainly uh, in the parkour for something to happen, right? Yeah, well maybe it's so far from the finish 20ks <laughs> yeah. and that's what really has colored these stages stage one tt roglic one stage two ala philippe one from a group sprint after the pro conti teams self-destructed stage three bilbao nailed ala philippe in the sprint yesterday so we've got will remco try for gc he's not look good on the climbs what will ineos do ineos yesterday paced all day with thomas Today, they got him in the break, and it was a completely different... It's what I thought would happen yesterday, happened today, because Ineos didn't decide to repeat yesterday's strategy. The strong teams got riders in the break. Van Sevenant in there, Thomas in there. When I saw that, I went out and took some... Uh, went for a hike, because I thought the break was going to take five, six minutes. <laughs> Were you... Who did, did you think the break had a chance? I really did with Armour Rail. Who else was in there? Some strong guys. Quite a lot of strong riders. We had Victor Lafay for Cofres won a Giro stage last year. Oscar Rodriguez and Cristian Rodriguez. So potentially a third Rodriguez is standing up in the ranks right now. But nah, 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 nah. Oscar Rodriguez was not going to be the strongest rider. (laughs) The Holy Trinity, you're right. Cepeda for Caja Rural. Donovan for DSM. Some random riders. Guerrero for EF. Armirai for Grupama. We also had... uh, I think we've said the most important names, I guess, from that list. So I'll go with that for now. And uh, that breakaway indeed didn't get too much time because Yumbo was keeping the tempo relatively okay to not make sure that Cristiano Rodriguez had three minutes in GC after today's stage because he's still not 10 minutes behind. He's, I think, two minutes behind from my memory. So he was somewhat dangerous, I guess. And then eventually, Karen Farma started pacing in the peloton because they missed the breakaway as a Spanish pro Conte team. And this is a, a conspiracy theory that's boiling up because Caja's in the breakaway and they are not happy about stage one. They shouldn't be. 
they shouldn't be happy about stage one. Uh, but anyway, Armorel's been very, very strong. We've been mentioning his name a few times this year on Montagne de Lourdes. He was a strong climber, more of an engine. And on Vivero, it's 6K, 6%, but the first two Ks are 10.5%. So that really fits a punchy guy like Lafay. Good at Arctic Race of Norway against a really solid Hermans. Um, he, he's a good, solid, punchy guy. He's That breaks actually a good, yeah. He deserved to win that Giro stage. Anyway, the pe- the gap to the peloton was ebbing and flowing depending on the run into climbs. Before that Vivero climb, there was a uh, the Urustimendi climb. 2Ks, 10.5%. This climb was no wider than four riders. It's, again, one of these roads. Beautiful Basque roads, green hedges either side. I don't know if it's two-way. I hope to God it's one way. Um, it's so narrow. And there's a big rush into the base because Yumbo and Quickstep wanted to block, even though they'd marry ahead. Yumbo were riding passive, and yeah, they blocked it up. So Pierre de Latour couldn't really do anything. Uh, but before we get to the Vivero climb, where it all really kicked off, mention our show partner Zwift, the online cycling platform that makes training fun. If you're trying to get into summer shape, or maybe if you are preparing for a gravel event in particular, Zwift is the official training community and training app for Unbound Gravel. To celebrate, they've built the Unbound Training Experience featuring eight weeks of workouts and recovery rides. Whether you're part of the Zwift community or training for the Unbound Gravel event this June, you don't want to miss this series. There's also accompanying podcast. For more information, we have a link down below at Zwift. Dot com And yeah, I realized at the start of April, summer is quickly approaching. So I had to get my act into gear training to be ready for some long rides in June and July. But Vivero, Benji, Yamo again, yep. not really, didn't really want to do anything. Is that not their fault? That's just the parkour with such a long, false, flat descent finish. I don't necessarily think that they need to do something spectacular on this stage. They are the ones in the lead on paper, so I'd expect the others to attack them. And to be honest, after that Urushimendi climb and so forth, they did not have like five riders left either. So they got to keep in mind, they can't just uh, send a train up and try and attack left and right. And perhaps they wanted to wait until some other people tried something to be able to respond to that and then do something. But the weirdest part about this uh, Vivero climb is that well, in the breakaway, Lafay was uh, riding away from everybody. One attack, snap, a gone. I think uh, there was, I mean, I following for a bit. Yeah. And then also after that, we had Gary and Thomas and uh, another companion in a, a third group behind uh, Armirai for a bit. And then uh, in the peloton, it was interesting because, first of all, Brambila just started riding five meters ahead of the group. <laughs> I don't know why. It just was funny to see that he, every single time the tempo <laughs> dropped, he was like to the front and started riding a bit ahead. And next to that, we also had attacks by, I think Latour was doing stuff and it was a response by Roglic, which I was on one end surprised by on the other end not because Latour has been real, relatively strong in these one-week races this year. And do you consider him someone that Roglic should respond to or should that have been the role for Jonas, for example? I thought it was odd he responded to it. Jonas, to me, seemed a bit asleep, actually, on this climb. He, and in the latter sections, he seemed to have good legs closing later moves, but he he seemed to be taken aback by some of the attacks. Now, maybe if you're caught out of position, it's so narrow, it's hard to move up. But yeah, Latour, I wouldn't have been too bothered about. It's so far to the finish. 
And unless you want to work with him, unless you actually intend to go with him and then work, I don't really yeah, see it, which Roglic didn't seem to be intending to do. But then they kind of stopped. Brambilla went again. The gap was 130, goes to 140. I think Lafay might have done the climb quicker than them. They get to this, they turn left off the 2K 10% section onto a better actual two-way road, and it's now 3 4%, perfect for Avonapol. And we actually see Van Sevenholt's been dropped out of the break. Remco then, I think, was going to attack, stopped attacking, realized Maori was done, and then he ended up attacking anyway. And so Quickstep decided to roll one, two with Alaphilippe and Remco Benji, including Alaphilippe doing some like parkour into the gutter. I feel like they're struggling with the multi-leader strategy, Benji. I, I worry that they're going to burn Alaphilippe and Remco is going to hard drop on Arate. I think when it comes to these stage, I agree with you that the two-leader strategy should have been done differently, where when I see their squad, I've said it at Tirreno as well, the riders are very clear what their characteristics are. Yes, I did that in one go. Congratulations. But uh, Remco Evenepoel is the type that can attack away, has the wads to keep going if he's solo and with other people and so forth. He's good on those 3-4% climbs like you mentioned. And then we look at Alaphilippe and he's the rider that is the finisher of the team. If they go to a sprint, Evenepoel is not going to do it. We've seen it in the last two stages that Alaphilippe is their sprinting choice. And I found it weird that they used Alaphilippe to attack today. But on the other hand, is it because they perhaps don't have the necessary confidence in Remco's GC that they want to gain time with Alaphilippe perhaps, because otherwise they won't get ahead of Roglic in any way? I mean, Alaphilippe, it's hard to know whether he actually wants to take GC seriously because mm. there's a, I think a French rider has never won a World Tour stage race and since the World Tour classification was introduced in over a decade but Alaphilippe can clearly win a world tour stage race or at least could have yep. in the last five years he just I think he just attacked just to see what would happen he got marked it was a very strong attack he got marked by Danny Felipe Martinez and Jonas I think yeah you're right and the thing is like they kept going were you first of all were you surprised that Jonas was responding that late again because you mentioned like he was looking like he was sleeping quite a bit yeah, I was surprised that he wasn't. He should have been glued to Martinez and Roglic on Yates. That's what I thought. Or i switch it around. Okay. And then next to that, I want to ask, when they go, eventually that group gets taken back. But Alaphilippe just kept pacing for a bit. And that's a confusing part. Alaphilippe just kept pacing at the front of the group until they got to the proper top. And that's a part that I don't get about this at all. Like, what is the point to have Alaphilippe pace knowing that the finish fits him i don't i don't really know <laughs> maybe to prevent vlasov countering he'd been sort of there I, I think he just wanted to stay at the front he did the same thing before the really steep climb before vivero as well he wanted to just do his own pace at the front but yeah i don't at the end of the day i think it's all moot because taking a huge gap on this climb is difficult there was movistar no. there mass got distanced and even though Jonas wasn't helping he got his domestique to bring that back Bahrain were there with numbers uh I was I thought Jonas he's only one second ahead of Martinez so he didn't work with them so that didn't work anyway descent Remco attacks Roglic goes really fast Roglic is on his wheel they had a gap gets to his shallow section stops and we have Victor Lafay up the road he's taken a 40 second lead on 
Thomas Armorel Guerrero and Formolo, who we haven't mentioned for a while. Guerrero, he is a saboteur of chases from way back. He yeah. maybe I don't, maybe he wasn't today, but he has in the past, and they had no chance of catching Lafay. So he had a decent lead, fifty seconds, ten k's to go. Suddenly UAE go to the front, and everyone switches into sprint mode. Kaha, or I think yeah, they have Allah there. Roglic just has Jonas. UAE have five or four riders, one of which is Ulysses. We have a little uphill kicker. Remco and Jalafilippe are the only quick-step riders, apart from Van Sevenot, who'd been in the break for a long time. They pull. Suddenly, Lafay is cracking, and I thought this was going to be a nailed-on break win for Lafay. Unfortunately for him, it got brought back very, very quickly with finally, after UAE were done, they spent everyone, so they did a good job. Remco put the Death knell, I think, just under the flam rouge for Lafay and Benji. We've credited him, Remco, for his leadouts at. I think I said it was Algarve, but it might have been Valenciana for Jakobsen the other day. Some weren't good either. To me, he starts his leadouts like an attack. He gapped, might have maybe it was Polance or a UAE guy off mm-hmm. his wheel, and then looks around and stops and waits. And, like, I think he's a great last K reverse lead-out option, maybe the best in the world. But then if he actually wants to do a steady lead-out, why is he getting in super aero position and surging? And I, I even think Alaphilippe doesn't want to be on his wheel in the lead-outs anymore because he eats so much wind behind him. Ooh, spicy take. I think when it comes to his lead-outs, I agree that they are... This one today certainly was a very accelerative one when it comes to the start of it and it definitely caught UAE somewhat by surprise as they probably thought it was an attack by Remco so it indeed looked somewhat like an attack and then the curious aspect is like okay he kind of goes slower and he looks behind what is the situation Alaphilippe is not on my wheel I've got two UAE riders in my wheel I could keep going because Alaphilippe's on the wheel of another sprinter in the a relatively strong position to do something here and keeps that going. But what intrigues me the most is the last part of his lead out is always what's intriguing. And we go into these final 500 meters and it starts to get a bit cornery. And we've seen lead outs like on stage one where he did wonderful corners and it brought Alaphilippe to victory. But when it comes to these corners, the people started swarming them on the left side. And that's where the danger lies. Because Is that because Remco's lead out starts getting slower towards the end? Yeah, I think he ran out of steam a little bit. It was kicking uphill, so it wasn't like you can't drop your guy off at 250. That was too early. And I think the chicane also caught them by surprise. It really was this open left side was the spot to move up. Roglic was shading Alaphilippe's wheel and Ulysses' wheel to that side. Ulysses had the open lane there, but it was Martinez jumping ahead into the quickest line through this left-hand bend and they'd had Thomas in the break. Martinez had attacked before. He's in magnificent form, and he got the jump on Ulysses. Ulysses, I'll be frank, looked a bit slow, and I'm not mad. I don't think UAE did anything wrong. If you don't try, you you don't you don't get anything. And they had him in the group, so fine them pacing. They had the riders, but he looked slow. Alaphilippe had to go the long way around Remco, who was blocking him through the corner and can only catch up to Martinez in the last 25 metres side by side. And despite Martinez, 
thinking he'd won easily. He didn't do a bike throw. He already started celebrating. He nearly Alaphilippe himself, giving it to Alaphilippe, <laughs> but the karma god still gave it to him by literally the width of a tire. And he nails, oh, he beats Alaphilippe coming quick behind him, who misses out a second day in a row for stages that really suited him. Ulysses third, Roglic not even bike throwing for fourth for the four bonus seconds. Yeah, uh, he also got closed in the sprint for a second day in a row. Um, could he have opened up earlier? Probably, but doesn't. Yeah, doesn't really matter. Yeah, I agree when it comes to Roglic that he had the opportunity of perhaps opening up earlier, but it was due to the fact that Remco on the right side of the road was done with his lead out at 150 meters to go and move to the left to let Alaphilippe go through because Alaphilippe was kind of blocked between like 200 meters to go and 150 meters to go. So had to get a gap. So Remco moved to the left. And at that point, Aular, the Kaha guy that we spoke about a few days ago, was on the left side of Remco. And because of that move of Remco, Aular had to move left. And I think that's what necessarily ha- caused Remco uh, Roglic to have to break a tiny bit, move to the left, and then try and close down Alaphilippe, who had jumped to the wheel of Ulisi, uh, the wheel that Roglic initially wanted to have. So perhaps if Aular didn't have to move to the left because of that Remco move, which is a logical move in a lead out, so no blame to Remco there, Roglic might have had a better chance of podiuming this and even could have competed for the victory. But hey, that's timing in sprints. It's all very tricky. And sometimes you've got the right one. Sometimes you have the wrong one. But honestly, I didn't have, I didn't know that Martinez had such a kick as today, to be honest. So I would not have said Martinez would win this at all with 5k to go. But I'm always happy when we see a, a rider that gets an extra bit of a sprint when it comes to climbing, because that gives an extra competitor when people try to attack over a climb and there's a four-man group or someone getting away, then there's always that option that that one rider can win that sprint as well. So that's the part I like a lot. When it comes to, um, I don't know, what else can we say? Well, GC-wise, he moves up 10 seconds. So is Martinez ahead of Alaphilippe, yeah. Ulysses, Roglic, Bilbao, a la Guerrero, seventh after being the break, then Millard, Vlasov, Brambilla. Martinez started the day on 21 seconds to... Roglic, he's moved up from eighth to third, which is a lot. Roglic hasn't taken any bonus seconds, I don't think, yet in this race, which is quite surprising. So Martin is now third on 11, and Alaphilippe is on 22 seconds. Would Alaphilippe be almost level with Roglic if he hadn't had that mechanical? Ooh, that's an intriguing take. I pr- he lost be close. quite a lot of time in that time trial because of that mechanical. So let's say he at least loses like 15 seconds, I dare yeah. to say. So he'd definitely be uh, quite close in GC. I, uh, I'm i not great at math, so he'd be on roughly uh, the same five. as Flazov, Yates, Thomas, and so forth, like top five. And then I think if he was closer, he would have ridden, they would have ridden more for his GC perhaps, and then he would have maybe won one of these sprints, more bonus seconds. So... He's because he was being quite aggressive. Uh, anyway, that's yep. the, the consequences of that TT. Stage five tomorrow from Zamudio to Mayabia, 163Ks. Oof. It is an actual uphill finish this time with a ramper. It is, this looks more dangerous to me for GC this stage. Much, much more dangerous. It starts with a 4K, 5.7% climb, and it is uphill three consecutive climbs, including a steep one for 1.5Ks. This 
is where to get satellite riders in the break. There could be a shit fight at the start of this stage. It then chills out a bit, and then they have consecutive climbs, four of them. They're like 2.6K, 6%, 3.3K, 7%, 3K, 6%, 5K, 4%. There's intermediate sprints on them. Some of them, I can't see any any ramp ass in there, but they get to the finish. There's then... With 17 k's to go, a 3k 9% climb, which is a false summit, and then another kicker at the end, descent, 5k false flat drag, which finishes with a 600 meter 10.5% ramp. Roglic, I think Yumbo should go for Rogla tomorrow. I think if the elite group wins, yes, it's Roglic. The thing is that it's been closed for three days when it comes to the breakaway. Honestly, think that it could once again be closed because of that initial part being a rough start and therefore larger breakaways being possible on a stage like this. There's also more people on more time after four stages than after one stage. So there is that possibility that we have a, a relatively strong breakaway tomorrow. And what stops the riders like Lafay, Guerrero, Thomas to try again tomorrow? Like, to be honest, then the question then is... Is Jumbo going to try and control it for Roglic's stage? And with the fact that Arati is on the final day, I always think that if there's no one dangerous in the breakaway, I don't think Jumbo will go for the True. stage win unless it shows up ahead of them. True. And will Quickstep try and control it? Because this is another one perfect for Philippe. Will... <laughs> Yeah. Will they put Van Seven on in the break? How will they try and control it for Philippe? Will they? I don't know. Lafay looks really good on this sort of finish. If he's in the break, he should be the favourite from the breakaway. Do Ineos try again? I think the big the big one is Ineos Benji. Do Ineos not put Thomas in the break? Do they pace again tomorrow? And do they try and attack on the Catabier to climb with Yates or Martinez? If they do pace, then it makes it less likely that the break will win. I'm not I don't know what their uh, their plans are, but I think they should. I think they should try. You never know when Roglic has a bad day. Coos has not been that not been there. Uh, I think they should try. But yeah, what do you think? Break or G C? Ah, oh, geez. That like in Basque Country these stages, it's so difficult to say break or G C. I would I would honestly say 50-50, but I'm going to go for GC because I want to see GC do it here. And you're right, if Ineos want to get something done before Arate, this is a stage to do it because the day after is Arate, <laughs> obviously. Uh, but on this stage, the thing is like, on Arate, they have to fight on the climb that Roglic is always damn good on. Or they prepare for a raid on stage six, which is also possible. Yeah. And we've seen that Yumbo has not been the strongest team necessarily in doing stuff here. So they've only really got two riders plus half Gus who can respond to stuff here, I would dare to say, based on the last few days. So with the raid on stage six potentially in mind, which they've done this year already with Carapaz at that other race we just had, Catalonia, I think they might play this one more defensively and might bet on the final two hills, as in the... uh, Carabieta climb and the uh, ramp at the finish to try and do something and the big action to happen on stage six for Ineos. But I want to talk about a different name, unless you've got something more to say about Ineos first. Uh, no, I got my name. I got my name ready, but you go. Oh, I, I was going to say Roglic for the stage. Like, 
I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Roglic, but I, I just wanted to say that Higita was, again, pretty bad today. And I wanted to mention... Looks sick. I wanted to mention that yesterday in the Bora press release, they said he dropped because of a mechanical. I didn't see a mechanical. Like, I'm not going to say they were lying, but he just looked like he was tired and dropping yesterday and today as well. So unless he had another mechanical, he's probably not in good form at the moment. I don't know why teams... Uh, yeah, just be honest, like, he don't look good. <laughs> like, anyway, uh, my name for tomorrow is Jonas Vingegaard will win the stage, I think. Ooh, spicy. Um, I like yeah, that. I think he's he looking wins. good. And like, I don't he's know. Punchy. He's punchy. Jonas is back. Do you see a possibility where Vingegaard wins Itzulia Basque Country? Yep. Yep. That'd I think pretty cool. I think he wins tomorrow or has a big chance of winning. Anyway, okay. that's uh, hopefully I can get. We'll see. We'll see the odds before before the podcast goes live <laughs> and he gets slammed. Jesus. Uh, the other race that was on today was the Circuit Cyclist South. Mads Pedersen won in a pretty dominant fashion after Kevin Vorkelan had been in the break. I think uh, it was like the typical Pedersen huge four hundred meter, three hundred fifty meter sprint and destroyed everyone. Vorkelan ended up being nailed close to the line, second with Cav third. One Pen- meter. One meter was it? One Penote bloody fourth. meter. Hofstede a fifth, <laughs> Koi sixth, Venturini seventh, Mansnat eighth, Vandenberg ninth, and Buda tenth. Pedersen Benji, his stock for Roubaix keeps rising. Yeah, certainly. But we got to keep in mind that Sikri uh, Sart is not exactly the race to look at when it comes to Roubaix. Yes, we can notice that riders are in good form. We got to keep that in mind. I do still believe that Mess Pedersen is certainly one of the top three favorites for Roubaix in my mind personally, especially if some rain falls, which is probably not happening based on what I've seen so far when it comes to weather reports. But he's definitely looking strong. And it's not only Mess Pedersen in that race. Like, Kevin Volkelin, I am going to be honest, before this year, I barely knew who this person was. I knew he won the U23 ITT in France. But outside of that, I thought he was a missed French rider on a French team. But he started the season off actually insane with Oman, where he was one of those top three riders, I think, on Jabal Lagdar. Yep, yep, following here. And then throughout the rest of the season, yes, he hasn't won yet this season, but he's always so close. Fourth on the first stage at Sarf. Fourth in uh, La, La Route Adelier de, de Vitre. Yes, I'm trying French. I'm so good at it. Uh, he was, I guess, strong throughout the season so far. And I think he he's was one in of a those group, Benji, in Kern or yeah. Omloop. I think he was in like a G1. Possibly. I was like, who the fuck is that? It was Kevin Vokalan, I swear, in one of those. <laughs> You're right. But yeah, he's good. Um, I still don't know what sort of rider he is because that Green Mountain performance was was bizarre. Another one to watch out for is Paul Pennote. He's 20 years old yeah. on the FDJ Conti team. He's been cleaning up. He was fifth and fourth in sprints at Oman uh, and then good top five results in other sort of one-two races. And then at Tour de Normandy, with, Normandy rather, not Tour de Normandy, he eventually won uh, stage five after a couple of seconds He's just he's young, compact sprinter. Certainly one to watch out for that Conti team at FTJ. Just oh, godlike. <laughs> yeah, they just produce so many good riders. Yeah, you can you can unironically be built a world tour team by just signing their last three years of riders, <laughs> and they'd probably be able to compete for some world tour wins. <laughs> yep. They got a guy called Right Arm, Joey Pidcock, the goat. They got everyone. Anyway, yeah, that's all right from arm. us today. Right Arm, unbelievable name. Unbelievable name. 
<laughs> Tomorrow's Basque Country. Hopefully there's GC action. Could be a rinse and repeat of today's stage, which was entertaining nonetheless. Thanks as always to Zwift for supporting the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. Amstel Gold Race this weekend. No preview because it's not a monument, but we'll be covering it. Obviously, we'll see you tomorrow. Ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.